good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. We are reading in the book of James. Now, last time we read chapter 4, and at the end of chapter 4, there is the final verse. The last verse is verse 17. So any person who knows what is right to do, but does not do it, to him it is sin. So, this applies to all of us, and it's a very broad but wise way of looking at our lives. Because as we learn and grow in the Lord, and we know what is right to do and we don't do it, it is sin. That is wrong. It is not. That is not the way we should be. That is not what we should do. So then that's going to lead into this next part, though. James, chapter 5. Now this is the last chapter of James. And we're going to start here in verse 1. Come quickly now, you rich who lack true faith and hoard and misuse your resources. Weep and howl over the miseries, the woes, the judgments that are coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and is ruined and your fine clothes have become moth-eaten. Moth-eaten, your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you, and will consume your flesh like fire. You have stored up your treasure in the last days, when it will do you no good. Look, the wages that you have fraudulently withheld from the laborers who have mowed your fields are crying out against you for vengeance, and the cries of the harvesters have come to the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. Now this is not Sabbath, it is Sabbath, Sabbath, I don't know how to pronounce that, it's S-A-B-A-O-T-H, and I'm not sure if that's intended to be the Lord of the Sabbath or not, let me see, there is a note here, now here, this says the Lord of hosts, sovereign God, Lord of the armies of heaven and earth, so, basically, the cries of the harvesters have come to God, the Lord of hosts, Sovereign God, Lord of the armies of heaven and earth. On the earth you have lived luxuriously and abandoned yourselves to soft living and led a wanton pleasure self in... No, I did not read that right. I'm sorry. <coughs> Pardon me. On the earth you have lived luxuriously and abandoned yourselves to soft living and led a life of wanton pleasure self-indulgence, self-gratification. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and have put to death the righteous man. He offers you no resistance. So, here we're talking about, now James is talking about, okay, James is specifically talking about rich people, and then he's not just talking to just any rich people, but Let's, even if we cut out the amplification, let's just uh, leave out some of the extra stuff. And you read this. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl over the miseries that are coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and is ruined, and your clothes have become moth-eaten. So, you know, your wealth, your earthly wealth, all this stuff here on earth, it is, you know, it's transitory. It's very limited, and, and it... It's not going to always be there. Plus, we know that the world is always trying to take whatever you have. It's always eroding at your wealth anyway. Um, 
but your gold and silver are corroded and the, their corrosion will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. You have stored up your treasure in the last days. Okay? You have stored up your treasure. You have hoarded everything up. You know, you've just hoarded it all to yourself in the last days. And, and we should be. We are in the last days. Since Jesus has <clears throat> risen to heaven, we are in the last days. The last days will end when Jesus returns and takes us all home. Now that's just a way that this is phrased and that phrase is used throughout the New Testament that, that we are in the last days. And Jesus could return at any time. So, he's really, he's really trying to talk to these, uh, to these rich people, people who are, you know, well-to-do. And I mean, we're talking rich people because they have laborers that they pay. And, they, and you can apply this to companies and corporations now. You know, they have laborers that they pay who are doing the work for them. They have harvesters who do the work for them. Um, you know, meanwhile, the top, you know, the top people, the owners, the board members, the, you know. And we're not saying everyone, because I, I am not in any way trying to say, oh, every person is evil, greedy, wrong. No, I don't know that. I'm not God. I can't judge those people. I'm not saying that. And I don't think James is saying that. However, he is saying that if you are doing this, if you're one of these wealthy people and you're just hoarding things up and you're, you know, and we think of it as kind of a Scrooge type of thing. You're hoarding stuff up for yourself and then you're not paying your laborers and you're not paying your harvesters and, you know, you're not treating people fairly. Okay, and then you can think of this and I think of that as a Scrooge type thing. Now I've got that thought in my head and it's kind of, it's kind of funny because that's how I think of Scrooge, but it's not funny for the person doing this. For the person doing this, that is so harmful to their spirit, again, to their emotional and mental well-being and their spirit. And it, it puts them at odds with God and they're in the wrong frame of mind and it, it removes a lot of love from them, which they could have. They could have that love. And here, you know, James is just talking about people who are this way. Again, we're not saying everyone's this way. I'm sure there's a temptation to be this way. I'm not, I'm not rich like that, so I have no idea. But I imagine, like I've said before, I believe that with, with a lot of wealth and resources comes a lot of temptation. And so there would be this temptation to hoard things up. Well, I've got to protect what's mine. You know, I can't let everybody just take it away from me. You know, and there's that, there's that mentality. And um, I understand that temptation. I do. So um, even though I don't have anywhere near that kind of uh, stuff, I do watch out for me and my family. And I try to make sure that we are at least maintaining, you know, ourselves in a reasonable manner. Yeah, I wouldn't want... You know, I wouldn't want us to go backwards in life and, and have less, but if the Lord wills that, if that was for some reason something that happened that needed to happen, then I, we would just have to deal with it. But, um, you know, I don't think that is the Lord's will for us, but sometimes these things do occur. Uh, sometimes we need to learn certain lessons. So, But here are these, these folks... He's, James is talking about people who have, they have, um, on the earth, you know, they've lived 
luxurious lives, wanton pleasures for themselves, just self-indulgence and self-gratification. They've fattened their hearts in a day of slaughter. And that's because they have just lived off. Now, well, we won't get into all that, but maybe we will. But um, <laughs> the thoughts are hitting my head. But when we, when when we're one of those top people, when we're one of those rich people, or one of those very top of the company people, you know, we have to recognize and understand that we're living off of. We are making progress and making our livelihood off the backs of the people under us. We need to be appreciative of those people. I know a lot of times the temptation is, and not everyone falls into this temptation, so I'm not saying that everyone does, but the temptation is to look down on the people under you. The worldly idea sometimes is to think that you are so much better than the people under you, but to be honest, You're one person being supported by the work of tens, hundreds, maybe thousands of people. You can't, you know, I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't you be grateful for what they're doing that supports you and keeps you in your livelihood and keeps you living the high life, you know? Shouldn't the king look out for and care for their subjects? It's a very similar type of thought and thing. And, and James is talking here about people who are not doing that. They are looking out for themselves. They are just very self-indulgent and self-gratifying. They, uh, you know, they basically use up people to keep themselves the way they want to be. You know, to keep having their wanton pleasures. So... And that, again, that relates to today just as much as it did back then. So, and again, we're not trying to paint this broad brush and say everyone is that way. I, I'm not, I can't judge. You know, everyone has to look at themselves and, uh, and, and judge themselves against the Word of God and decide. And in the end, God will be the judge, not, not me, definitely. Thank goodness. We, we don't want that. All right, so moving on, um, verse 7. So wait patiently, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits expectantly for the precious harvest from the land, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, keep them energized and firmly committed to God, because the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain against one another, believers, so that you will not be judged for it. Look, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brothers and sisters, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as his messengers and representatives. You know we call those blessed, happy, spiritually prosperous, favored by God, who were steadfast and endured. They endured difficult circumstances. You have heard of the patient endurance of Job, and you have seen the Lord's outcome, how he richly blessed Job. The Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. So here he's encouraging us to be patient and to wait for the coming of the Lord, to stay committed to God, to keep following God, that we will receive the early and the late rains, 
the refreshing, the spirit, the spiritual refreshing from God that we need. We need to be patient and keep our hearts strong. How do we do that? We stay in the Word of God. We stay firmly committed to God. Do not complain against one or the other. You know, one another. Do not complain against one another so that we will not be judged for it. The judge is standing right at the door. And that is, the judge is the Lord. The Lord will judge. God will judge us. As an example, brothers and sisters, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. In other words, follow the example of the prophets. You know, because they were, they were blessed and they endured very difficult times. And then he mentions Job as one such example. And the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. But above all, my fellow believers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But let your yes be a truthful yes and your no be a truthful no, so that you may not fall under judgment. We don't need to swear and promise and have oaths. We just need to be honest and straightforward. Let our yes be yes, let our no be no. Is anyone among you suffering? He must pray. Is anyone joyful? He is to sing praises to God. Is anyone among you sick? He must call for the elders, spiritual leaders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So this is, this is an important thing that we should do. Um, if someone's suffering, you know, when we're suffering, going through things, we should pray. And, and don't be afraid to ask others to pray for you. It's important that we pray for one another. When we're joyful, we should sing praises to God and be, you know, be very thankful and grateful to God. And when we're sick, if we're sick, there is absolutely power in prayer. We should ask for others to pray for us. And sometimes some people have called, like the elders of, of a congregation, to come together to anoint them in oil and pray for them. And it's also very important. And, and here James is going to get into another thing. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. It's your false steps, your offenses, and pray for one another that you may be healed and restored. Oh, well, James is going to say all this better than me. So we'll go ahead. Um, <clears throat> the heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man or believer, they have in, quote, in uh, parentheses, is able to accomplish much when put into action and made effective by God. It is dynamic and can and can have tremendous power. So this is this is a uh, a statement that we all know. The heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man is able to accomplish much. Um, that's why prayer is so important. That we pray, we pray for one another, we pray for our families. And here he's going to give an example in verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, with the same physical, mental, and spiritual limitations and shortcomings. His, he was very much like us. And he prayed intensely for it not to rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. 
Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its crops as usual. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you strays from the truth and falls into error, and another one turns him back to God, let the latter one know that the one who has turned a sinner from error of his way, from the error of his way, will save that one's soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. That is, obtain the pardon of the many sins committed by the one who has been restored. So I want to back up here, the example of Elijah being, you know, having, being, basically, being the example of the heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man or believer. And he gives the example of Elijah. Elijah was very much a man like us, and he prayed. You know, he had the same shortcomings and, and limitations that we do, and he prayed, and God held back the rain. It did not rain for three years and six months. So it shows the power of prayer. Now, we do not have necessarily some of that great supernatural power that like Jesus had and the apostles had, but still our prayer is very important. And our prayer can make things happen. It can cause things to happen. Then, this final point here at the end of the chapter, that if any of us stray from the truth and we fall into error, and someone else corrects them and helps lead them back to God, then that's a wonderful thing. It's a terrific thing. And that when we do that, when we lead someone back to God, we're, we're covering a multitude of sins. We're getting forgiveness for them, pardon of many sins that, that, that have been committed. And it also can help us gain pardon and gain favor for our own sins. Because we're all, we all have sin, and if, if we say we don't, then we're lying. Now we know that, when it's, it's stated several times in the New Testament, we all sin and we all uh, make mistakes and do wrong things because we're human, we're fallible, and that's part of our problem. That's part of the human problem. Uh, but when we follow God, He is merciful and just to forgive us, and when we help one another, that too is a is another way of following God that shows our trust and belief and faith in God and that helps that helps cover or make up for a multitude of things that we do that are wrong. That doesn't mean we should still wrong you know, willfully go out and do wrong things, but you know, this is such a good thing when you help one another that that helps make up for some of the wrongs that we do. It you know I think, I think that's understandable that we would, you know, and God is merciful to us and forgives us, so. But it does help. It helps that person. You're helping that person get forgiveness, and in doing so and helping them, you're also helping yourself. Um, Alright, so that is the end of James chapter 5. I want to thank you for listening. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless you and keep you. And remember, God loves you.